Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Megan Louts. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you on, Megan. Um, you've got uh, an interesting background in terms of uh, the nutrition and some of the people or type of people that you work with. So um, I'm looking forward to kind of uh, getting into that uh, a little bit later in our conversation. But before we get to that point, um, I've got some questions I like to ask all of the guests uh, just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak, Megan. So we're going to run through those four questions, then we'll kind of get into uh, a little bit more of your backstory. So the first thing I'd like to know, Megan, is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I'm not super interesting first thing in the morning. I'm not a morning person, and I'm also not a night person. So I'm just a nightmare on either end of the day. <laughs> Um, you know, I usually start off with coffee and then, uh, you know, try and get my act together within the first half hour and and then get to work. I, I have a good commute to Fairfax. And then if I'm working from home, you know, I try and get to, uh, you know, email and get through that stuff first and then get into the meat of the day. Okay, cool. I, I like that. That's uh that's a great question and a great <laughs> way to start off the podcast, Megan. So right. and for everybody listening, it's uh, 7 a.m. where Megan's at. It's 6 a.m where I'm at. So uh, here we are, we're getting after, right? Start Starting off your day for the usual, Megan. Yes, yeah, welcome um, to the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. So uh, second question, if there's more than one, feel free to share. Do you have a favorite book um, or is there a book that you like to gift often? And again, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to maybe limit that to one. So if there's more than one, feel free to share. Yeah, I, I really liked the book Upstream, which my friend Annette Zapp referred to me. Um, just kind of more about trying to fix a problem rather than, you know, uh, at, at the start instead of way down the line kind of book. That's a great one. Um, but usually I am more of a murder mystery book person in my personal life. So, you know, if it's James Patterson, that's another thing I have my hands into. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, and just kind of uh, to add on to the question, if you do listen to podcasts, do you have like a favorite or go-to podcast or are you not much of a podcast person? Uh, yeah. So for podcasts, um, you know, in the fire space, uh, I, I love my friend Annette's uh, Fire Rescue Wellness. She does a really good job. I, I've been a guest on her pa uh, podcast, but bringing in experts, not only from the fire side, but also from the health and, and wellness side. And she does a very good job of, you know, work walking people through that conversation. Awesome. Excellent. Okay, uh, what life lesson have you learned or been taught in the last year? And if it's been, you know, a year and a half, two years, that's fine. But most of us that are in pursuit of more are learning constantly. So within recent times, what's a life lesson you've been taught or learned, Megan? Uh, it's, it's one that I'm still working on. Um, I have a really hard time slowing down. <laughs> I, I prefer to be just running around like a psychopath at all times. I like my calendar nice and booked. And then I wonder why what I, why past me did that to future me. Um, so I, I've been really trying to slow things down, especially now that it's summer, you know, not booking every single second of my day and actually taking time to sit outside and, you know, not do work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, I think a lot of us are kind of type A and we're kind of, we can yeah. relate to what you just said. So 
and I know you just said it's summertime, so you're trying to sit out, sit outside a little bit more, but a, a little bit more practically speaking, like, um, is there any like, uh, uh, meditation work, yoga work? Like, is it just simply getting outside more like, and, and, and then do you have to structure, um, you know, because you're kind of that type of person, you have to kind of structure in that, uh, downtime or slowing downtime, because I'm assuming if you don't, then you're just going to continue to go. So can you kind of give us maybe some of the practical of what slowing down looks like or, um, how you're trying to quote unquote, learn that Megan? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, for me, I, I, I have been, you know, looking at the meditation stuff for probably 10 years and I don't really like being alone with my thoughts <laughs> or like, sit. I know it's supposed to be sitting still and letting them go and all of those things. So, so meditation hasn't really, I haven't been able to stick with it because I hate it. <laughs> so for me, it's kind of more just like, if I can get myself outside and, you know, get a book from the library, then that's what I try and do. Um, I don't really schedule it necessarily, but I, you know, sometimes I'll do it for like in the morning with coffee or something like that. I have to get it done first, like the important thing done first. Otherwise I'll just say, oh, I'll just do it the next, the next, the next, the next. And then I never take a break. And then I wonder why I'm angry. Okay, perfect. Um, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word? Yeah. So our strength coach, uh, Jake Patton with Fairfax, he says, um, that make better, bad decisions, which I think is, I wish I could steal it from him entirely, but <laughs> you know, that's kind of the mantra of, of pretty much everything, uh, that I have going on from the nutrition fitness health side of the world is, you know, we're not here to be perfect. You're just here to do a little bit better every day. Love that. Excellent. Okay. So uh, let's uh, let's unpack your backstory then, Megan. So I want to know, I want to kind of uh, gather from you uh, where you actually grew up. What was life like for you when you were a young person? Uh, did you like school? Did you play sports? Um, paint that picture for us up to about high school. And then once you get to high school, we can kind of stop there because I've got some questions to transition us from that point. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I grew up in like just south of Baltimore. Uh, Maryland in Lithicum. So if you've flown into BWI Airport, you basically have flown into my hometown. Uh, I still live there, actually. And um, yeah, so I uh, was a big nerd. Uh, I had a bowl cut. You know, I I, I uh, wore a Hawaiian t-shirt and black Jordans to school. So I was a looker uh, even then. So, you know, I, I definitely was bullied a bit, picked on. That probably led to me being a people pleaser down the line. But overall, you know, it helped me keep my head down in terms of school and, you know, tended to do pretty well there. Um, okay. So did you play uh, any sports and do you have any siblings? Yep. So I have two sisters, both of them are younger than me and I played soccer. I play, I, I was pretty, a pretty much a tomboy, you know, the bowl cut usually makes it easier. Uh, aerodynamic, if you know what I'm saying, but you know, uh, I played soccer. I played track, basketball. I tried softball. I tried lacrosse. I didn't like girls lacrosse because I couldn't hit people like the boys could. So I didn't do very well. I, I wasn't a very good athlete, but I liked the fitness side of it. So um, I, I did end up, you know, after college or in college, getting my uh, CPT and CSCS down the line. Okay. Now, uh, so it's you and two sisters and, mm -hmm. uh, you're the, you're the oldest. Yes. Where does the tomboy stuff, uh, come from? 
I'm pretty sure my father wanted boys. That's probably where it came from. Um, you know, so my, my youngest sister is actually probably his favorite because he's even more tomboy than me, but yeah, we, we were really active. You know, my dad likes to, you know, throw whatever ball at us. He coached soccer for us growing up. So, um, probably where it came from for the most part. All right. Um, now have you always had kind of like your, uh, your personality of, uh, you know, um, just kind of being, I don't know, I can already kind of gather that you're kind of like silly and funny and happy go lucky. Is that something that you've always had or is that something you've, uh, uh, gathered or, uh, attained over the years? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I like to say it's my uh, mother's looks and my father's personality. That's what I've I've gained. Uh, but, you know, working with firefighters, I, I went from a very corporate wellness, kind of a little bit more stiffer, you know, cleaner environment to firefighters. And I definitely like turned it up a notch once I started working with firefighters because they, you know, respond best to sarcasm and cursing. If you talk to them too nicely, they don't listen. So, yeah, it's been developed and honed over the years. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, now, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, like that, you said you were a you were a nerd. Mm -hmm. uh, you and you enjoyed school. Is that correct? When you were younger? Yeah, yeah, to a to a degree, obviously. Um, you know, in in high school, I went to an all girls uh, high school. Actually, it was. Um, if you've ever watched The Keepers on Netflix, that was my high school. Well, it's a very horrible story, but anyway, um, yeah, I went to uh, an all girls school in high school and, um, you know, I, 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 t I had a gym class and it was like, you know, the, the, the woman was a drill sergeant. She had us, it wasn't just like, go play dodgeball and get out of my hair. It was like circuit training and stuff like that. And, and for some reason I just really took to that. Uh, so that's kind of where my interest in like the fitness and the nutrition side of stuff started. Um, you know, in, in terms of personal life, I actually ended up meeting my husband in high school. He went to the all boys school. Uh, so we started dating at 16 and have now been married six years. So, um, yeah. perfect. So, okay. Um, when, when you were kind of like in high school, then Megan, uh, were you already thinking about getting into like the, uh, the health and fitness space and like the nutrition side of things or, did that come in college? Did that come in post-college? Like, what were you kind of thinking about doing, uh, quote unquote, when you uh, got out of high school or grew up, so to speak? Yeah. So after high school, I went to um, James Madison University and my initial major with that was athletic training. And then I realized you had to touch people. And I I wanted nothing to do with that. I did not want to touch any people. Um, so I switched over to dietetics because I was like, that's health related and I don't have to touch people. So that seems like a better fit for me personally. Uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, right away I was doing a lot of like the group fitness classes at JMU. So I took a group fitness instructor class and I was pretty good at it. Um, but I tried out three times and didn't make it. And I was told that I could, I didn't make it because I was too intense. So that's a little foreshadowing for working with first responders, right? So uh, I ended up switching over to personal training, which ended up being a, a better fit for me. I got that certification over the summer, ended up working as a personal trainer and nutrition analyst, eventually nutrition manager at the, the gym at James Madison. Um, so I've always been kind of like having three jobs, working full time, not that I needed to, I just like being busy and I've always picked a job that was interesting to me. Mm, okay. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to try to pull back some layers uh, mm -hmm. 
with you here, Megan. And I know you'll probably meet it with some uh, sarcasm and, and yes, humor, but I, I do I do want to try to pull back some layers. So yeah, in terms of, uh, because yes, we are even to this point as adults, uh, you know, a, 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 a picture of the adults that were in our lives when we were growing up, right? So like yeah. you know, the, our personalities and things that we believe and all of that, that all begins from the time we're born, you know, uh, all the way through. But our, our parents, coaches, teachers, when we're developing as young people, they are really uh, influ influencing us uh, as young people. And, and, and we are, again, in large part, uh, you know, who the adults were around us when we were growing up and, and maturing and things like that. However, uh, you know, there's life experiences that we go through uh, where we kind of like, you know, maybe uh, pivot or we change or we make adjustments or, or we try to be or whatever all that stuff is. Now for you, uh, in terms of struggle, in terms of, you know, being a, a young girl, and this is, you know, kind of, you know, pre-college, but even maybe into college and however long, but has there ever been any difficulty in terms of like your, your body image, uh, in terms of who, who you are in security? Like, uh, can you, can you touch on that please? Yeah, sure. So I'll be honest, you know, especially after, I mean, obviously the bowl cut really kind of screwed me in middle school. You know, the bullying there was great. But once I got to, you know, high school is when my lips really set in. Um, but in terms of that, like, I've always been pretty privileged. Like, I've always been like a stick skinny, you know, uh, blonde. And usually that's not the worst way to grow up in at least this type of society. Um, you know, my parents were really good to me. Uh, I, I feel like they raised me pretty, pretty well. I, I really didn't have a whole lot of like, trauma or other than the the mild bullying um you know for me a lot of that body image stuff didn't really happen until after college when I tried to do bodybuilding which is a whole can of worms which I'm happy to open okay well we're, we're gonna open up that can of worms uh right now because I sure. uh come from a bodybuilding background I'm a mm -hmm. IPE drug-free pro bodybuilder I have another podcast that is called behind the muscle it's all yeah. bodybuilding related. Um, uh, and I own a gym. So, um, let's talk about that then. Uh, let's get into bodybuilding. Why did you kind of move in that direction? Did you ever compete? If so, walk us through that. What category did you compete in? Um, let's, let's, let's go there if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I initially started the, like looking into bodybuilding at the time it was about 2014. It was when I graduated college. Um, so they hadn't like put the wellness division in NPC yet. It was still bikini figure for women. Um, and I had started lifting in, you know, I started P90X over the summer, sophomore year, just like loved that and decided to start doing the P90X workouts at the gym at school. But at JMU at the time, like they had separated our gym. So like their upstairs was the cardio equipment and downstairs was all the weights. So like none of the girls wanted to go down into the weight room, not only because weights are already intimidating in the first place, we barely know what we're doing with that. No one ever taught us that stuff. And two, there's a bunch of dudes staring at you and the frat boys are about to pounce at any freaking moment. So uh, there weren't a whole lot of women in the gym. Um, so I, I, I just started lifting. I, I met one of my lifting buddies. We started a program called Female Fitness. It was a whole thing. Um, but basically, 
that kind of, I, I really loved lifting. And a lot of people said, oh, you need to compete. You need to compete. You need to compete. Because at the time I had some pretty well-developed quads. I, you know, upper body looked pretty good. Um, so I decided that when I graduated college, I was going to do uh, an MPC competition bikini in uh, March of the grad the next year. However, uh, I was also in a dietetic internship. So when you become a dietitian, you do four years undergrad. And then you have to, once you graduate, you have to do a one-year internship. And that internship is unpaid. You actually get to pay them 10 grand to work 40 hours a week, plus your gas mileage and wherever you're living and all those things, right? So luckily I was able to live from home, um, you know, and also my parents paid for the internship. So I didn't have a whole lot of struggle that I've seen other interns have where they don't have some of those things. Um but I decided at the same time it was a good idea to do a bodybuilding competition. And that turned out to be one of my worst decisions. Uh, it was just, it, the internship was really stressful for me. It bounced us around to a bunch of different locations and, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours away from my house, like really long commute. I was trying to personal train in the evenings, plus training for this bodybuilding competition and posting it all on social media while I was doing it. So basically what happened, and I'm, I'm sure you felt this maybe at one point if you've bodybuilded, you know, the body dysmorphia really started to sink in. And, uh, you know, they probably started cutting me too early because, you know, the competitions in March, when you've always been skinny, you don't need longer than 12 weeks. You know, I was starting under 20% body fat. I didn't need 12 weeks to, longer than 12 weeks to cut, right? So I'm trying to cut during Christmas and all of those things. So what ended up happening for me uh, was I had, I had developed an eating disorder at that time. I, I didn't have it growing up. I didn't have any like, you know, weird food issues prior to that. But the pressure of feeling people watching me would lead, you know, if I messed up and ate something that was out of my calories, I would just continue binge eating. And then I would force myself to throw up, which is an uncomfortable thing. People get really worked up when I start talking about it, but that's what it was, you know? Um, sometimes when you make yourself so obsessed with perfection, you're gonna find another way to work around your imperfect life and your imperfect human brain, right? Um, and then on top of that, uh, my husband proposed to me in January. I remember complaining because he made me go down some steps and I was like, you know, I did legs yesterday. Like, what are you doing to me? Um, so he proposed, you know, uh, and a couple weeks after that, I fell on ice and I ended up hitting my funny bone so hard that I passed out. Turns out if you hit your ulnar nerve, like really, really hard, um, it can cause like some sort of reaction that causes you to pass out. And it ended up knocking out my, uh, one of my ligaments around my elbow. And I didn't know it till a couple months later I was doing, or a couple weeks later, I was doing tricep extensions and my like, elbow is like shifting backwards. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right. Uh, let's go to a doctor. So I go to a doctor and uh, the doctor's like, yeah, you're missing like half of a ligament. <laughs> like it's barely hanging on by a thread. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a month out from a competition and all I have are leg days. I can't do any upper body. I need to get surgery on this elbow. I'm in this crazy internship. Uh, I'm now somehow planning a wedding, which was crazy. Uh, you know, it, it just ended up being a lot and it just kind of started to spiral from there. So did you end up getting on stage then or not? No. So actually, yeah, that's a great question. So what had happened was um, <laughs> the day before my competition was like my major case study 
review. So like, this is like a big part of the internship where you have a case study, you're like developing it over several months and you're doing all the back work. So it's quite, it's pretty intense, right? And I hadn't done a whole lot of public speaking at that point. So that was a little nerve wracking. Um, and that was literally the day before the competition. Mm -hmm. So like a week before, maybe two weeks, I was, you know, I was just not doing well mentally. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I must've had a bad day at the internship or something, you know, on top of the injury, I found out I needed surgery. Um, and I ended up like binging on something and then hated myself so much. I forced myself to go to the gym and I'm on the quad extension. And one of the guys comes up to me, is talking to me. And next thing you know, I'm hysterically crying on the quad machine, like quad extension. And this is a really bad look. And I realized like, I can't keep doing this. Like you can't throw up three times a day. Like that's not good for you, especially like the dichotomy of like, I'm a dietitian and a trainer. You know, I, I know what I'm doing, but something just was, it was just too much. Like it was finally just the straw that broke the camel's back. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm pulling, I pulled from the competition. I did not get on stage. I probably could have gotten on stage, but I think it would have been a bad idea if I had gotten on stage and then liked the attention, mm -hmm. right? Or did well. Mm -hmm. And then that probably would have led to me continuing competitions. Um, so basically, it, you know, while that had to be probably one of the worst experiences of my personal life, and then I had to like teach myself how to not have an eating disorder for like three years after that. Um, you know, it did teach me that if you go too far from that perfect quote unquote lifestyle, it, it, it could show up in other areas of your life. You're going to make sacrifices in your social life, in your mental health and all of those other areas. Um, and now I'm not that it's not going to, you know, competing is not going to do that to everybody, but I've seen a lot of people come out of it with some pretty nasty stuff that takes years to unlearn. Mm. Yes. Uh, because this isn't my bodybuilding podcast, we're not going to sure. go much further with that, but that's fair. Um, I, 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 I agree with that. I concur with that. And with all the personal experience I have within the bodybuilding world and having over, uh, 300 episodes on behind the muscle and talking to IFBB pros, NPC athletes, coaches, like it's the bodybuilding world, uh, is, is a very toxic and it can mm -hmm. be a very, uh, you know, debilitating, destructive, uh, culture, uh, practice lifestyle. If you, if you really don't have all of your T's crossed and your eyes dotted. And even right. if you do, there's a high likelihood that you're going to develop some sort of issue, whether that's, you know, gut related, uh, yeah. mind related, body image related, because when you continue to push your body, uh, and, and I'm specifically talking about those who compete, you, you, you are putting your body, your mind, your entire being in an unhealthy state, you're, you're sleep deprived. It's just this it's, it's just this entire, um, you know, mess of, 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 uh, issues that, that can come from, uh, being a competitive bodybuilder, whether that's drug-free or enhanced, it doesn't matter because the drug-free side of things, uh, presents a whole nother issue with hormones and things of that yeah. nature. So the last question I want to ask about that, then I want to kind of get back into college and being a registered dietitian and kind of the professional side of things, Megan, you said it took you about three years to kind of overcome this eating disorder. Would you walk us through 
kind of the process or the steps that you had to take to overcome uh, the eating disorder? Sure. So, you know, I kind of trained myself out of it, which I professionally wouldn't recommend. Um, but what I did try to do, I tried to get a, a counselor, like a, a mental health provider, right? But at the time, this was like 2015, 2014, they didn't really have online providers at that point. Telehealth wasn't a thing until really after COVID. And uh, so I had to go in person. There's not a whole lot of times, you know, and the, the one person I, you know, they gave me was kind of mousy and didn't really interact. And it it just wasn't a good fit. And I was just like, I, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for the therapy part. Now, that doesn't mean I was like, I don't have time for this. Let me just continue being a psycho. Um, I What I did was I started listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, there were, uh, I can't remember any of the ones off the top of my head at the time, but there were some females who had come out of bodybuilding with that kind of similar atmosphere who had to overcome some disorder eating and that kind of thing. So I listened to a lot of podcasts on people from their experience, professionals, those kinds of things. And then I also eliminated all of the bodybuilders from my like Instagram feeds like my following and that kind of thing. And I actually shifted it to like, at the time, Ashley Graham, who's a plus size model. She was on Sports Illustrated, big plus size model. So I started following models like that as well to kind of shift like their, the normalcy of bodies and like the, the, the variance of bodies. And again, I have a, I have a lot of thin privilege. Like I know I have it because I've always been skinny. I genetically probably will be my entire life. And there are going to be people who have had, who would have to work very hard to look what my baseline is. Right. So I had to, um, really shift my mindset and kind of, um, also open up the, 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 my diet. Right. So orthorexia is a, is a thing, um, which is where you're so obsessed with like the perfect healthy diet that, you know, it's, it becomes a problem. It becomes a condition. It becomes something that negatively impacts your life long-term. And so what I had to do was like basically open my diet to whatever the heck I wanted. So if I wanted pizza, I ate pizza. And at first it was like, I would eat it really, really, really fast. Um, and also, you know, get too full. Like my hunger cues were screwed up. So I had to start eating slow again, which is my natural pace anyway. And just like open up the types of foods I was eating. And even if it was pizza or ice cream or whatever, I incorporated that into my diet. And then I slowly kind of cleaned it up over the years and it's ebbed and flowed. Uh, and I still keep that stuff in my diet. I eat ice cream most nights and I'm a dietitian. So, you know, it. would I say that's the way to do it when you are coming out of a competition? No, but considering the time constraints that I had uh, and the availability of therapy at that point in my life, I just did what the, the best thing I could do to try to heal myself which I think still ended up working out because of my background and, and the knowledge I have in the area. Awesome. I appreciate you uh, touching on that because I know that's something uh, male or female, a lot of people struggle with, whether they've uh, been in the bodybuilding world or not. I know eating disorders uh, are prevalent in our culture. So, um, okay, let's take a step back, Megan. So you go to college um, you're, you're, you're getting kind of into the personal training and the fitness stuff. Now, uh, I can't recall if you actually told us what you studied when you went to college, what did you actually study then? Yeah, it was dietetics. Okay, cool. So why did you choose dietetics over kinesiology, exercise science, something of that, uh, regard? A lot of my early life decisions are where at this point, um, yeah, I, 
I don't really know why I didn't end up choosing. I think I just didn't even know the word kinesiology, quite frankly. Like I didn't, like if they presented me with a kinesiology major, I'd be like, what the hell is that? Um, but I almost switched like halfway through when I really started lifting and stuff. I was like, do I want to switch over to kinesiology? Cause I was already a personal trainer. I was, was doing the job. Right. Um, but I ended up like kind of thinking like, is that the best long-term decision? Do I want to be a strength coach making $3 at the crack of dawn? And I kind of was like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. Um, and ended up sticking with dietetics. Okay. Now I do remember as you were saying that you, you, at some point where, where did the athletic training stuff, uh, come in? Was that, that was like immediately I switched it with- like. Yeah. It was yeah. like my very initial na- major. And then like during orientation, I was like, Ooh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and and what's the, what's the deal with not liking to touch people? What, what is, what is that? Is that some phobia? Is that just something that you, you're just not into? Yeah. I don't like touching people. I don't like blood guts or dead bodies. I like, I, if the guy on family guy gets his arm cut off, I'm looking away. Like that's how, like, I don't like that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also not a hugger. Uh, much to many people's dismay. So <laughs> neither was my mom. She's not much of a hugger either. <laughs> it's probably, I come by it, honestly. Uh, okay. So now uh, do you hold hands with your husband? Is that allowed? Yeah, or he's allowed? allowed. He's allowed. Only on my terms though. <laughs> I'm kind of like a cat. He's more of a dog. <laughs> oh my goodness. I gotta, I, I want to have your husband on the podcast. I don't even know what he does, but I, just want to, guy. I want to ask him about you. That's what I want to do. Oh, you could ask him. He's just going to give you the same thing I'd give you, except for slightly worse. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. All right, so uh, dietetics, um, you do your year unpaid internship. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, what unfolds after that, Megan? Yeah, so once you do your internship, you have to do your, uh, like you have to sit for a, a board exam. And that board exam is, is pretty rough. I think it's like a 50% pass rate. And this is for type A psychopath dietitians. Like our whole field is just a bunch of type A. You have to be really good at studying like biochemistry, organic, all of those things. Um, so it's a pretty rough exam. I ended up taking it within two weeks. Again, I like I've been studying my whole career. Like I think I took a week to study and then I took it. I'm a good test taker. Um, so fortunately I have that for me, but I, I took the test. I got it within two weeks of graduating, usually people take a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to get working and I ended up getting a job at Northrop Grumman. And Northrop Grumman, it was, I was a contractor for Northrop Grumman. So Interactive Health had a the wellness contract and it was a basically corporate wellness. And it was my dream job. I was like, this is it. I'm gonna work here for 30, 50 years, whatever, how many years you have to work until you're allowed to retire now. And it was, cause I, I, they let me be the dietitian and the personal trainer. So I got to, you know, do a nutrition class, coach some people. And then for lunch, we would do like, um, you know, a core, a 15 minute core class or some sort of leg class, whatever. Um, But what had happened, you know, and I was living the dream at that point, you know, I was living five minutes from my house, you know, you couldn't get better than that. Um, But what happened was within about nine months of being there, Northrop Grumman cut the contract and eliminated over 40 uh, like health and wellness coordinators and managers across the country. They just eliminated the job and replaced them with like these like telehealth robot things. And I was crushed, uh, you know, couldn't really it, it found out how hard it was to apply to jobs in that area. <laughs> 
like they're just not our, there's not a whole lot of health and wellness jobs really. Uh, you know, most of the dietitian jobs are clinical in hospitals because most people don't want to work there. Uh, some do, and they're amazing at it. But, you know, so I, I worked behind the desk for several years. Uh, I ended up getting, not several years, it was like a year and a half. It felt like eternity um, until I got the job with, with Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. So what did you do behind the desk? Was it just like secretary stuff or what? Yeah. So they made us all account managers. So, and they were selling biometric screenings. So it was like, if you, uh, if your company wants a company to come out and do biometric screenings, which was like finger stick, um, blood cholesterol, blood glucose, um, you know, height, weight, blood pressure, those kinds of things, which we did at Northrop Grumman. Like I could do the finger sticks and stuff like that at the time. Um, so we were selling those to companies and organizing those, like the, the schedule and all of that. And it was awful. I mean, I don't do well at a desk, you know, <laughs> like trainers, like we, we don't do desks. And also like, it had nothing to do with my, you know, all the work I did leading up to it. Right. Like there was no nutrition education. There was no fitness. I just sat at a desk in person. I've I've never done that, and uh, hopefully I will never have to do that because I'm like you. I I I, I couldn't handle that. That's for sure. So, um, okay. Before we step into kind of where you're at currently, mm-hmm. uh, I want to kind of know in the current what what is your um exercise personally like right now your movement like how do you kind of get your uh you know movement exercise what have you in uh currently are you still kind of like going to the gym and doing the the bro stuff or has it evolved over the years since you got out of bodybuilding megan yeah that's a great question so you know i i was pretty pretty i still did a lot of the bodybuilding stuff for years like five or six years um you know, five to six days a week kind of stuff. Cause I, I've always liked it. Like that's just the style of training. I like, I've tried CrossFit it's too much damn cardio. You know, I've tried other cardio. It's too much cardio, you know? So, uh, it, it, it just seems to be the spot that I've always really liked. Um, but what I found over the past, like two years, which was when I started with a different, um, fire and rescue company, um, I've, I've been struggling to get it in, to get the workouts in actually. Um, and, and I appreciate you allowing me to be candid about it, but it's been a strange thing for me because I've always loved fitness. I've always loved working out, but all of a sudden it's been like, I just haven't wanted to. And part of that was I started a new job with an hour and a half commute each way, <laughs> started a business, uh, with a social media campaign. I'm sure, you know, is brutal. And then uh, I also work part-time for University of Maryland. So I teach dietetic interns several hours a week. So, you know, I work a lot and um, I also have some back pain that we haven't figured out what that is. So it's just been hard to get myself motivated to work out um, because I can't lift the weights the way I used to with the back stuff. So I'm now at like about three to four days a week with walking, more walking than that, depending on the heat and whatever. And uh, it's usually just some sort of weight training thing. And that's, that's, to me is enough. I feel like, uh, you know, it's not what I used to do. It's not very intense, but it gets the job done. Yeah. Is, is it hard for you, Megan, to kind of be where you're at with your quote unquote exercise and movement, knowing 
what you used to do is yeah. has that kind of been hard to to let go of the old Megan, so to speak, with uh, you know the competing and you know the bicep curls and the squats and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Like I, I, oh my God, my quads in college were magnificent. Um, you know, and literally like people would stop me on the street and be like, are you a track athlete? I'm like, you don't want to see me. Um, (laughs) but you know, I used to have quite a bit of muscle mass and that took a lot of work because I have a very like thin build. Right. So I had to eat a lot and like actually lift a lot. And now like my body doesn't look like that anymore. Now I just look like a skinny little noodle. So that has been hard uh, in terms of like, I've also gained 4% body fat over the past two years with working at the new job. So um, which I went from 16% body fat to 20% body fat as a female. I finally am now in the normal range of body fat. I shouldn't complain. Right. But like, I think it's hard, especially for leaner people, athletic people, like when yours, for some reason, whatever it is, like you're phasing out of that old fitness routine or nutrition routine or whatever, because you're in a different stage or phase of life, like you're, you becoming the standard does not feel good. (laughs) You know, people would kill to be on the lower end of the standard, but you're like, you know, it's a little challenging, but I'm getting kind of past that because it's like, honestly, you know, relative to the general population, I'm doing really well. And, you know, if I want to focus on my business, if I want to focus on my social life, I need to start doing that because you know, work and having the perfect fitness routine. I don't know if that's worth it to me anymore for the other cause. And it's not healthy either. Uh, right. It's, it's just not when you, when, when that's all you care about is your body image yep. um, and your workout routine, um, unless you're a professional athlete and you're getting paid, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to, to, to keep that it's, it's it's not healthy. It's not healthy then either, but no, it, it's even probably less healthy then, quite yeah, frankly, yeah. because then you're trying to find any which way to to maintain that physique. And there are some pretty dark, dark ways to do that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So thank you for being candid about that. Now, uh, I want to also touch on, since you are a registered dietitian mm-hmm. and you, you deal with other people's quote unquote nutrition, uh, how has your nutrition evolved or devolved over the years? What, what are you kind of currently, uh, what's that kind of look like, uh, for you, the, the eating? Uh, yeah. So when I was in college, like I was excited about it, right? Like I was super jazzed, um, you know, making like protein muffins and like, I actually enjoyed the cooking and like, and my husband, like he used to be, he was around for the protein muffins. Like, why don't you make me protein muffins anymore? Because I don't have time. You make me protein muffins, muffin boy. Um, like I, so, you know, I was really into the health stuff. Like I remember there was a point where I was like, I'm not going to have tortilla chips for a week because health. And it was like, what? Like me now I'm like, I'm going to have the tortilla chips. Or like, if we have, we have a pool in the backyard, like you're not going to come to my house and just have kale salad and like turkey burgers. You know, it's just what I would consider normal American food, but I'm very good at like naturally portion control probably a part of genetics, right? Like just looking at my family, my mom's side of the family. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of probably devolved from that, but you know, I think it's worked. I still do a lot of bit, you know, all the veggies and the protein at every meal and you drink the water and all the, you know, check all those major boxes, but I'm also not avoiding things anymore. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, what about like supplementation for yourself personally? Do you take like vitamin D or uh, mm -hmm. any, any supplements uh, in that regard? Yeah, that's a great question because obviously, so actually my undergraduate thesis for my honors thesis was on male uh, supplement use in male college students because Jacked was like rampant through the frat boys at that point in time in terms of pre-workout, uh, took out half of them. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really do any more. Um, I, if anything, I have, it's a multivitamin. And then like, I like the amino energy, the optimum nutrition amino energy, not for the BCAAs because meh but because it's like just a little bit and it tastes pretty good and there's not a whole lot of stuff in it. So, uh, you know, that it's, I think the one scoop is 50 milligrams of caffeine, which is enough to get me razzled and dazzled if I need it, but I, I haven't used it in months. It's there. If I so desire it, I don't think you need it, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I look like I, I sound like I have a lot of energy, but you know, I don't want to say the inside's dead inside, but you know, some days it feels like, it. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. So, um, let's, uh, let's take a step back into the professional side of Megan. So mm -hmm. I want to start with, uh, the fire and rescue. Um, so it sounds like you got into the fire and rescue side of things after your year and a half, two years sitting behind a desk. Mm -hmm. How did that opportunity present itself? And what do you do with firefighters, fire and rescue, kind of that whole uh, service uh, world, so to speak? Sure. So basically what happened was my boss's boss's boss at Northrop Grumman was like, uh, you know, hey, we have this opportunity. It's in Rockville. It's working with public safety. Is anybody interested? And there wasn't a whole lot of information, but I was just like, you know what? I, I need to get out of here. Like, please help. So basically I interviewed and um, it was basically presented to me as it was at an occupational health clinic, which is where the firefighters go to get uh, cleared fit for duty. So they have to get separate physicals with the county typically or city or whoever they're working with to say, yes, you are fit enough to do the job. Because, you know, if, if there are certain conditions or like if you have a broken ankle, you can't run into a you know, burning building. That doesn't matter for a dietitian who sits behind the desk, right? So um, that clinic was hiring for a wellness manager. Uh, I had experience with corporate wellness, right? And I had a lot of skill sets. I was good at graphic design, uh, personal training, and then nutrition. So basically, I came in and, and got that job and had no idea what it meant to be the wellness manager for public safety. Uh, and basically, fire just, you know, I met one of the firefighters at the clinic and they were like, hey, why don't you come out and see CPAT, which is their candidate physical abilities test. Uh, it's a very pretty intense, like it feels like your soul leaves your body at some point. Um, it's like an obstacle course, but you have to wear 50 pounds of a weight vest and, you know, a little, you know, a helmet and gloves. And you go through this obstacle course and, uh, you know, for a female, 50 pounds, it, it, it's pretty heavy when you're trying to drive a 185 pound dummy when you're trying to raise a ladder, when you're trying to uh, force a door, you know, practice a ceiling. And you have to do this in 10 minutes. Like there's, it's pretty intense. So it took me three times to pass it because I was like, you know what? I like fitness. Let's see what happens. Like, can I be a firefighter? Not mentally, but physically. Um, so I ended up taking that and, and without realizing it, um, me doing that built a lot of rapport with the firefighters. Like me passing and, and also making like trying it, you know, really built a lot of rapport with the firefighters. Um, 
Now, granted, I had other groups that I was responsible for. I was responsible for police. I was responsible for corrections, bus operators, strangely enough, um, liquor control, which was a warehouse job. So, um, but primarily I ended up working with fire because they just were interested and I built some good rapport with them and, and it kind of took off from there. Okay. Okay. So then unpack like, okay, so you work, you basically work in public health. Is that what I'm gathering from you? Like public safety. So the way I would say it is um, I work for public safety, right? That umbrella, but it's kind of a combination of corporate wellness and sports nutrition. Some days I'm corporate wellnessing. And if I'm on the fire ground with them, trying to train them for hydration, if I'm working with recruits who have a higher level of fitness during that time, then it's more sports nutrition, right? So I kind of get to do both, which are my, like, I wanted to be a sport. That's why I became a dietitian. I wanted to be a sports dietitian, but that job kind of sucks uh, from a lifestyle standpoint. So it was just kind of that perfect combination of my two interests. Okay. So then, um, do like the actual uh, police officers, firefighters, bus mm -hmm. drivers, do they seek you out or is the, 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 the company or the city or what have you that you're working for kind of send you out? Like, or is it kind of a two-way street? I guess I'm just trying to Great piece question. together like How does what, this your, <laughs> what, what, what this kind of looks like practically in the day-to-day. Sure. So actually, um, so in like in 2017, when I got hired there, um, there, there's like next to no dietitians in this space. So, you know, as of now, I know of three dietitians who work full-time for a department. There might be a handful more, but those are the ones that I know exist. Um, now a lot of times when departments get dietitians, they are like, what the hell do we do with you? Like, there's no protocol. There's no standard. Like I can't go on the interwebs and find, like, I remember Googling like diet, like diet for firefighters or like dietitian nutrition recommendations for firefighters. And literally nothing came up. All it came up was like, you know, uh, articles that a personal trainer might've written about nutrition for firefighters. Um, there were a handful of studies that came up on the Mediterranean diet and some other things in firefighters at the time. But for the most part, there were, there was nothing. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a little bit challenging because you know, I had to basically just like knock around and find things like fork around and find out. That's basically what I did. Um, so, you know, I, I did the CPAT, I did the 24 hour shift and basically the way I went about it. And it, part of it was because I was young. Like I was like 24 at the time and I knew nothing about firefighting. So I was like, how am I going to just tell you guys to eat off of a plate when you guys don't even have the opportunity to eat off of a plate until after your third call? Like I, I, that doesn't sound right to me. So I kind of just like immerse myself in their life to as best I could, because I don't do blood guts or dead bodies, um, to, to really understand their lifestyle first, and then start to work some of my nutrition recommendations around that. Now, of course, my first nutrition recommendations were pretty clunky for, relative to what I, they were now. I was at first pushing, really pushing Mediterranean because that was the only thing I saw for them. But then it was like, okay, but they can't eat off of a plate. So what are non-perishable versions? Um, in terms of what my day-to-day -day ended up looking like, uh, I would go typically to the academy at like 7 a.m. and we would have recruit uh, workouts. And uh, one of my firefighter friends who I'm still very good friends with, Katie Dennison, would run the workouts. 
Um, and I would just kind of be her backup. So if she needed someone to watch someone because, or like roll out a quad because her quad felt weird, I would help with some of the correctional exercises because I'm also a trainer, right? And then I also would do like a brief in-service after about how if you don't eat breakfast, you're going to freaking pass out. Like we don't have time for you to pass out kind of vibes. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the day would either be a station visit. I usually bring snacks um, because they listen to me better if I bring snacks. So uh, I would do like a workout if they wanted me to. You know, it just depended on the day. And then I would also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So basically like what it's evolved to now working full-time for years is basically a ton of one-on-one, -on -one, a ton of one-on-one -on -one coaching, and then also station visits. So I don't sit behind a desk at all anymore, unless I'm doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching because firefighters are not going to come to you, right? Like they're not in, like, they're not, I mean, the healthy ones are like the ones who don't need to see me are interested in me. Right. Um, but the ones who are really struggling uh, there's a lot of, uh, like, she's just going to make me eat kale and quinoa. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to make this work with your lifestyle and I'm not going to judge you for it. And the challenge is there has been, you know, a lot of firefighters have been burned in the past by either a dietitian or trainer telling them to go vegan and eat this crazy, perfect diet. And they don't sleep. They, you know, they're basically in a sympathetic nervous system state for 24 hours straight for their shift you know, uh, they have stress at home, they have stress at work. Like you can't expect people to eat perfect in those conditions. So I went on a tangent, but did that answer the question? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and, and tangents are, are welcome on, on this podcast. Cause, uh, you know, you're sharing your, your work and your passion. So it's good. Now, um, let's, let's stick to, uh, you know, like the firefighters, the police officers, people that are more, uh, you know, kind of like, shift workers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and maybe the bus drivers are too, but you know, uh, I, I'm sure there's some stressful parts of being a bus driver, but let's just stick to like police office, sure. firefighters, things of that nature. Um, so what have you found Megan, because there might be somebody that's a police officer, uh, you know, a firefighter that's going to listen to this and, uh, they've never reached out to you, or they just maybe through curious and candid came across this episode. Um, what have you found to be some beneficial, implementations of, you know, positive nutrition for these shift type uh, workers slash, I'm going to call them athletes because they are athletes. Yeah, sure. So, so now at this point, I primarily specialize in police and fire with like a sprinkling of dispatch, right? Because technically they're the first first responders, right? So um, with that, you, you, like you said, so we consider police and fire tactical athletes, and tactical means there's a level of fitness required for the job. Uh, now, there is an area of tactical nutrition that if you look it up, it will keep police and fire under that umbrella. But most of the tactical dietitians or nutrition information is geared towards our military, which they need it as well. But, you know, it, that becomes a challenge when you start looking at nine to five nutrition information as a first responder. Um, so before I get into that, I probably should set the stage as to what the job is for people who maybe don't understand um, you know, for police and, and fire, well, let's start with fire. Fire is typically 24 hour shifts. Um, and depending on their shift schedule, they may have one or two days after that off, or they might have one day off and then they're back on. So it, it depends on where you're at. And it's always just a, a mind screw to try and figure out these dang shifts, depending on which county you're talking to. 
but you know, they're up for 24 hours and they are responsive to calls for those whole, that whole time. If you're sitting down for lunch and a call drops or the, the lady in the ceiling starts yelling at you, you're out the door. You don't get to finish your food. You don't get to finish your set if you're working out, right? You, you're gone if your unit's called. Uh, same thing for police, except for police is then sitting in a, you know, typically patrol is sitting in a cruiser and then they don't have access to a bathroom. So you can't tell them to drink a gallon of water a day because they're going to hate you, especially the females. Um, you know, they're... Uh, that could be a midnight shift. That could be a day shift. You know, it's, they're working at weird hours. And then on top of that, they're seeing trauma, right? Like you don't call 911 when you're having a good day and you just want to have them over for the barbecue, right? Like you're calling them because your husband is in cardiac arrest. You're calling them because your kid got hit by a car and all that sounds really dark, but you know, that's what they're seeing. And the expectation often is you go on that crazy call and you're, you're, you're supposed to be just as good and peppy as you were at the call before that. So that, that, that messes with people's heads. And now we have some mental health protocols in there to try and fix some of these things, but they're not perfect and they don't always work. Um, so you have the exposure and trauma. The other thing you have is injuries. So this job beats people up for both police and fire. We usually see neck, shoulder, knee, and back injuries. And by the end of a 25 to 30 year career, usually my retirees have two or three of those and pretty severe ones, blown out shoulder, um, you know, blown out back patients are getting heavier and heavier. We're seeing 450, you know, 500, 600 pound patients. You know, if you lift that patient wrong, your back's blown out. If you step off a curb wrong, the curb can take you out. If you put on your jacket wrong, your shoulder can go out, especially if your mobility and your training isn't great. So you've got exposure to trauma, you've got high risk of injury, you've got lack of sleep, um, which in terms of health consequences, what does that lead to for our first responders? What are they at higher risk for? Firefighters in particular, the two big ones are cardiovascular disease and cancer. 45% of line of duty deaths, so deaths in fire of firefighters that occur on duty are related to a sudden cardiac death. So an arrhythmia, or a fatal arrhythmia or a fatal heart attack. And that usually happens in a like 30 to 45 year old firefighter who doesn't think they're old yet, by the way, um, who's not in great shape, who wasn't well hydrated, who probably had some cardiac, you know, stuff pop up, high cholesterol in their physicals, um, or they haven't had a physical in several years and then leads to that. So cardi cardiac is concerned. Cancer. IARC officially declared firefighting as an occupation as a cancer-causing occupation this year, I think. Uh, and that means, you know, the exposure to cancers is significant. Uh, and that's from benzene, from uh, PFAS, from diesel fumes. You know, there are certain calls that happen. We had one at a trash impactor that's popped up with like five different types of cancers in the responders who responded to that fire. Um, so it's it, the exposure to uh, cancer causing agents is significant in addition to shift work, probably helping that cause. Um, again, two out of three line of duty deaths are cancer related. And then we also have mental health. Suicide is a pretty high risk as well. So, you know, when we start talking about nutrition, what a lot of people look at you know, from a health professional standpoint, or even from a firefighter who's now like the wellness guy or the wellness girl for their department, where they have like a, just enough education 
um, or maybe they have a decent amount of education to, you know, do the job. And these professionals look at those health risks and they are like, holy crap, how did this happen to us? Like you guys are tactical athletes. Like you need to be like, we need to fix this, right? You need to be perfect. So you need to be working out all the time. You need to focus on your sleep, even though you don't get to sleep at work. And um, you also need to have the perfect diet and you should never have alcohol. You should never have caffeine. You should never have sugar. You should never have sodium and all of these things. We just talked about the lifestyle part of this, right? Like they don't sleep, they're exposed to trauma. And then they have all these injuries that if you blow out your shoulder, when I blew out my elbow and I couldn't do upper body anymore, I was a mental wreck. So I didn't want to go running, right? Like I I didn't want to work out because I didn't want to do the alternatives to what I had available, right? And that can lead to, again, long-term issues in firefighters. So when you see the overweight firefighter, you know, a lot of people, the knee-jerk reaction, I've seen a couple posts on Instagram lately where it's like, you know, if your officer can't see over his waist belt, then he's not useful to you at all. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I understand you're just going by looks, but this career impacts you significantly. And if we don't adjust nutrition to adjust or fit the lifestyle of the first responder in a stepwise fashion to get that individual to where they need to be, then we're not, we're doing the fire service a disservice. So that tangent is basically if you're, if you're a health professional or firefighter wanting to get first responders healthier, you need to start way lower. You need your expectations to be basically at the ground so that they can basically fall over the bar, right? And get them motivated to keep moving. Because you're talking about a bunch of type A people who want to do good. But when you tell them to eat perfect all the time, that's like trying to reach a second story window without a ladder. Hmm. How are you going to get there? Right? So um, that tangent I don't know if I answered the question, but I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork. Um, but yeah, I, I would say if anything, you're you're really trying to focus on the lifestyle of this first responder and then take the nutrition information that you know is important and then chop it up into little baby bits so that it fits the the lifestyle of that first responder and then progress them from there. So I'm assuming then that just like if you were a personal trainer at a gym and you should be doing it this way, uh, we don't always find it this way, but I'm assuming yeah. uh, then uh, it's it's very individualized in terms mm-hmm. of uh, the, the firefighter, the police officer uh, and, and, and their nutrition, or are there some uh, more broad guidelines or recommendations that can be given for somebody who is in the category of a firefighter, police officer, so they can at least on their own start in, uh, you know, in a positive direction with their nutrition. Sure. Um, so overall, like if we're talking about general nutrition recommendations for first responders, is I need them to eat more plants, and I need them to drink more water, and I need them to moderate their caffeine. Moderate, not eliminate. And um, basically. Uh, anytime I do a conversation, have a conversation or when I put information out on the interwebs on my social media, it's assuming for the lowest common denominator. I'm trying to make this as easy, as quick and efficient as I possibly can. So I'm not doing the fancy protein muffins anymore because that requires someone to buy or buy potentially a specialty product, um, spend extra time to make the muffins and do all those things. When someone who has four kids might not have that kind of time or that kind of budget to be able to do that. 
And that's hard when you're like, when I was a, a new personal trainer, the recommendations that I made, like I'm horribly embarrassed by it because you just don't think about like when people have kids and they have all these other responsibilities, like how, like now that I'm an adult, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, why? I don't even have children and why I'm, I'm dying over here. Um, so, you know, you, you really kind of have to assume for that. Now, what does that look like nutrition wise? So I need them to eat more plants for antioxidants and fiber to prevent the cancer and cardiovascular disease, right? You need them to reduce the caffeine because if they do too much caffeine, it screws up their sleep even more. And then they have another issue. And then I need them to do more water because overall they suck at hydrating. And then also electrolytes if they're on the fire ground, which is a whole nother tangent. So um, the big thing for the veggies, a lot of times my recommendation is if you won't do veggies, I want fruit. I, I need a plant. It can be frozen, fresh, or canned. So frozen is just as healthy as fresh. It might even have more nutrients in it because it didn't sit in the truck, sit in the back of the grocery store, sit in the front of the grocery store. You buy it, sit in the fridge, it goes bad within two days. So that's a big concern with first responders. So like I went on tour, I was too tired to meal prep and all my stuff went bad. If you do frozen, that fixes a lot of the problem. So a lot of the recipes that I put out, I try to use frozen or canned products, which sounds contradictory, but it meets them where they're at, right? Uh, another thing with the, the veggies, I put cut up coleslaw or like, well, the coleslaw veggies you get in a bag at the grocery store for like a dollar. I put them in the buffalo chicken wraps because it's a full serving of veggies and it takes 12 minutes to make 20, wait, no, 20 minutes to make 12 of them. So it's pretty quick when you use the crock pot. And then also uh, my smoothies, I make them put spinach in them. So they look at me like I'm insane, which fortunately for them is true. And, you know, we do the spinach and the smoothies and they try it and they're like this, you know, the Reese's one, it's like, it tastes like a milkshake. I was like, yes, I'm a, I'm a witch. I, I've told you this before, you know, I, you basically have to like, Find a way to make healthy eating taste good, seem familiar with not a bunch of weird products. Like we don't need coconut flour. Like I understand like some people might want to do that, but when you're talking to people who don't have time, money, or energy, then like, that's kind of a dumb recommendation in my opinion. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the physical training, because mm -hmm. you know, that is important. Uh, I don't think you want you know, firefighters and police officers and those type of people doing, you know, 20 CrossFit uh, workouts, you know, a week. But mm -hmm. where is the starting point, Megan, for their physical training? I, I love, I absolutely love, um, and, and this, this applies not only to firefighters and police officers, but you, like you said, like uh, uh, a stay-at-home mom that has four kids. I mean, they just have careers that have real lives, right? Like, yeah the busyness in our culture is it's, it's never going to change. It's going to continue. So this applies more than, you know, just the, the topic of firefighting first responders, police officers, but I love the aspect of just keeping it simple, meeting uh, these uh, professionals right where they're at with mm -hmm. the nutrition. So how do we meet these professionals right where they're at or kind of help them maybe shift like you did uh, you know, in your training from like maybe more of like the bro type training to maybe a more training style, physical training, that's going to benefit them for longevity sake within their career. How, what does that look like? So the challenge on the fitness side of things is the bar is a little bit higher than our gen pop, right? So if someone is really in bad shape as a firefighter, and I have had firefighters, male firefighters with 50% body fat over 300 pounds. And they're still on duty. 
Um, they can, that the challenge is, is that like an overweight firefighter, they can do the job. Like, and they can do the job well, typically. Now, sometimes they get to a point where like they can do the job, but it looks like crap, you know, like they look like they're going to have a heart attack any minute. Um, but the challenge with first with firefighters is the, the bar has to be a little bit higher and that could be hard when someone's in crisis. Right. So like we can tell them, okay, starting with walking is a good starting point for someone who's really in crisis. It is a good starting point, but it's still not anywhere near the bar, if that makes sense. Um, and the bar we have to keep pretty high because again, of the risk of death, right? Like it's life or death in some of these scenarios. Um, and those sudden cardiac death things that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, heart attack while they're, or after they're finished with a fire, usually it's, it happens in unfit firefighters who are not hydrated with a, like I said, a, several other risk factors, but those two things a strength coach trainer and a dietitian can work on. Um, and then of course, reducing injuries overall. Uh, so yeah, so yes, walking is a good starting point, but we need to progress that quickly, especially if they are currently on, like they are on duty, like they are fit enough to do it there. Sometimes we can pull them from in Fairfax. We can actually pull them from the field if they don't pass our fitness test, which is uncommon. Uh, there's a lot of feelings about it, but the goal is that we need you fit enough to make sure you don't die on the fire ground period. Um, now with that, what are the like fitness things that first responders need to think about? Um, the challenge is, it's, you know, like the general population, first responders have different interests in terms of fitness. Some of them are triathletes, so they only do the cardio stuff. Some of them are bodybuilders and powerlifters, so they only do the weight training stuff. Um, and those are great. Basic, basically, research shows that if firefighters do some form of fitness, they're better off than any of the firefighters who don't do it. So that's great. However, in terms of what the job requires, you need to be cardiovascularly fit. So you need to do some cardio. Sorry, bodybuilders and powerlifters. You also need to do some weight training because the job, one, the gear can weigh over 100 pounds, depending on what you got going on and what tools you have. You need some strength training. Sorry, triathletes and runners. So you need a balance of those. The other thing you need is not everything in a sagittal plane, not things just front to back. You need side to side movements. You need twisting movements side to side because that's how you may have to move um, in an attack. And then, you know, rotational, if you're forcing a door, it's basically like slamming an ax at a door, you know, you need that rotational stuff. So a lot of times we are also uh, from a strength and conditioning perspective, teaching firefighters that we need to do some rotational stuff. We need to do power-based training, like a lot of medicine ball stuff. You need to freaking warm up, which is hard. That's hard on duty because you're like, I don't want to, you know, I've already done two calls. I'm not warming up again for the third time for, to finish this workout. But in general, like, please just don't go straight to the bench press. You're too old for that now. If you're over the age of 25, no offense. Um, so we need to think about some of those things. And then the last thing that you need to think of too is on the fire ground. If you are going into a fire, there may be no light, no visibility from smoke. And they're coming in crawling. You don't just waddle into a house, you know, standing up because, you know, heat rises and all the chemicals and stuff rise. So they crawl. So if they don't come back from a knee injury 100%, and sometimes physical therapists who don't know the job will do this. They're like, oh, they're good enough to go work at a desk. That's not what we need. We need someone who can crawl. Mm -hmm. So they have to crawl. 
So bear crawls are a great exercise, especially we, we like to use those in the warmups. Um, and then also the visibility thing. The visibility thing is important from an uh, injury management perspective, because if you step on something weird, you could be rolling an ankle, right? If you step down from the engine weird, you can roll an ankle. Um, so we have to teach them how to be uh, resilient in an unpredictable environment. So did that answer the question? Yes, perfect. Okay, now for you personally, and I can see kind of what I, I kind of asked you earlier about your 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 personality and, and just kind of the way you are. And I, I can definitely see where, you know, you get this rough, tough, uh, you know, firefighter type A individual yeah. walking to your your uh, office and you, I could see you just completely yes. just shattering kind of that ego and all that hardness and just be like, Hey bro, like, let's go. Right. Yeah. I've literally told some of them and now granted, this is already after I have a relationship, like if they come in and they look like crap, I tell them they look like crap. And they're just like, really? Like, yeah, you do. Did, you clearly didn't sleep last night. So let's make this an easier session. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I could, I could, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty serious, like hardcore person, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep a straight face for five minutes with you. Yes. Uh, I tried now, to break them. So, so, I, so, so what I want to kind of branch off that is, uh, or from that Megan is for you personally, right? Right. Like what are some other, uh, um, maybe like interpersonal skills or just lessons or like, what have you learned specifically like as a human being, as a woman, as a professional, you know, in this profession of serving, helping, empowering uh, first responders? Sure. That's a great question from like an interpersonal standpoint. So I think like me being um, a female has helped me to a degree and also a female who's like, Hey, I'm here and I want to learn stuff. What does this button do? Um, you know, genuinely, like that wasn't forced. I just honestly didn't know anything. So like, tell me what the heck that thing does. Um, and that is the way to come in. Now, if you are a dude and you're coming in and you're like, I'm the expert in this topic, they're going to be like, screw you, dude. Like they're, you're just going to get the gorillas to puff out their chest more, you know, and they're going to fight you more. Now, not to say that I haven't been fought at or not like, you know, met with resistance at points. And I definitely haven't done any of this perfectly because I have done some really embarrassing stuff. Um, but you know, you have to come in, you're not the expert and you might be the health and wellness, especially if you're a civilian, you might be an expert in nutrition and fitness and all of these things. But until you have, I would say probably five years of experience, I would have thought I had it when I was at two years in, but five years of experience with firefighters, you don't really know anything, right? Because they are the experts in their job. So you need to become the expert in both their job and their, uh, you know, health and wellness and, and how you have to adjust health and wellness to fit the job. And I'll say that a hundred more times in this podcast, you have to adjust the, the, the recommendations to fit the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, from a personal standpoint, that helps. I think, um, being kind of in your face up, like I'm borderline annoying, you know, right. Like being outgoing to a degree and, you know, kind of in their face to, you know, excited to be there. That helps too, because if you come in all quiet and mousy, they're going to eat you alive. Hmm. Um, they don't like quiet and mousy, which the interns are borderline traumatized when they see me interact with firefighters. Um, 
But the other thing too, you know, that I've, I've found has worked for me from a personal standpoint, um, wearing like workout clothes. Like I have, you know, we have t-shirts that we wear, uh, for our well-fit t-shirts or gym t-shirts. And then like either like a, not like a yoga pant, but you know, like a professional yoga pant kind of thing, baggier stuff. Um, and coming in from that angle compared to my fancy HR dress that I would wear to like corporate wellness or those kinds of things, because immediately they think you're HR and they're in trouble. But where I see the best results is when I can see them relax and start to joke around with me. And then that, you know, that rapport is built. So yes, I have, um, you know, had to tell a firefighter to just short, you know, shut the fork up or, you know, say, you know, first right back at them kind of thing. And while that might not be the most professional approach, it seems to work really well with them because then they feel like you're kind of part of the shift and that they have, you get them, especially when I can talk their language, like lady in the ceiling or, you know, force a door. But like, those are things that a civilian doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Now, would you be willing, uh, and you have to, because this is called curious and candid. Yeah. you don't really have a choice, but I know, can you share one of the embarrassing moments uh, through your uh, oh, yeah. career in terms of sure. the, the firefighter stuff with us, please, or three or four? I Well, the one that like probably gives me the most trauma or keeps me up at night is, so you know how like girl bodybuilders, right? Like the bands, the knee bands, like the little mini bands became a big thing, right? And they are great. And I was thinking like, you know, let's do this with the recruits. And what I used to do with my personal private clients at the weight loss clinic, we would do like a, like a, a song and then we would use the mini bands and I would, you know, do the case of the song. And they loved that. It turns out when you do that with male firefighters, they think you're really weird, <laughs> like really weird. Like they're like, what kind of eighties workout video, Jane Fonda crap is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, me being dumb was like, oh, well, you know, like Hip thrusts are great exercise to build up the backside because their backsides are weak and their core is weak. Yeah, hip thrusts don't go well with firefighters, especially coming from a female. Okay, I'll, I'll take note of that if I ever train any firefighters. So yeah, make a lot. <laughs> um, of okay, decisions. now let's uh, let's. I want to kind of um, get into a little bit more of the other happenings in your life in terms of professionally. So. Sure. I can't remember the entire list that you currently have going on, but you have your own business. It sounds like yep. you're teaching at a school. It sounds like yep. if there's anything else, let us know, but let's start with, I, I want to start with the, the, your, your own business. So uh, what is it? What's the name of it? When did you start it? Like walk us through that, Megan. Yeah. So I did not want a business um, because I knew I was type A and a workaholic and it seemed like a bad idea for me because that was only going to play into (laughs) that. Right. Um, But basically, I, you know, during COVID. So first of all, I'm now at Fairfax Fire and Rescue. I initially started with Montgomery County, which is on the right side of D.C. And now I'm on the left side of D.C. in Virginia. And they put me behind a desk. Like they made me an essential employee to do five minutes of like charting work for eight hours a day in person during COVID. So I was again, back to the misery, right? So, you know, I was just kind of looking around and like someone, uh, my friend, uh, the firefighter friend was like, hey, I have a buddy in Kansas who would like you to talk to their recruits about nutrition and they're going to pay you like $1,200. And I was like, I'm rich, like $1,200, just talk like three times. 
holy crap. Um, but then I was like, wait, $1,200 seems like a lot of money. Like I probably need to have protocols for this, right? Like, you know, a business, an actual business. And so I got, you know, basically that initiated me getting the LLC, um, a rescue RD LLC. Um, I made it, I was about to do the firefighter dietitian. Um, but then they told me to broaden it out to include both police and fire. So that's why it's rescue RD. And I kind of probably could throw a dispatch in there again, like I said, um, to keep it kind of broad. And, and basically what I had noticed is uh, there's really no dietitians out there talking about firefighter specific nutrition. And if they are, they're doing a little bit of consulting here and there, they might be a, a spouse to a firefighter. I have no firefighters in my family, by the way. So like I'm fish out of water over here, um, which probably helped me more because I made no assumptions off the bat, right? Not, oh, well, my dad's a firefighter and he does it this way. Like that gets you in trouble. Um, so basically I started the business because I was like, well, there's no one talking about this. And like, this is my wheelhouse. Like, this is what I'm good at. And, you know, I started posting on social media pretty, like I post six times a week now, um, which help. Um, it, but that has helped me not only disseminate and send out information that's realistic and fits the firefighter lifestyle, but that's also kind of solidified me as like an expert. So now I have speaking engagements. I do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one coaching, but it's hard because I don't accept insurance. That's too much work for me to figure out. Um, but primarily like public speaking, uh, recruit nutrition academies, uh, officer development courses, all with nutrition that is specific to that phase of a fit a firefighter's lifestyle. So like how you eat during an academy is probably going to be different than how you eat when you're in a 24 hour shift situation, which is going to be different than how you eat when you're a battalion chief sitting in a buggy. So, um, all of those presentations are, are changed based off of the life cycle of that first responder. Uh, so that's kind of what, how my business kind of started. It was kind of like an, Oh, like, all right, I should have some protocols for this. And it's, it's kind of, I think exploded. I mean, I'm not, you know, the guy who's, ah, you can make a million dollars off of firefighters without doing any work. It's like, I'm doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. To that lat latter point, you just said you don't know what you're doing or whatever, but have you uh, gleaned some business uh, protocols or have you learned some business, uh, you know, acumen in terms of like, kind of like the, the, the social media and doing more things online? Have you learned through a book or through some like, you know, mentors or through some YouTubers or like, where have you kind of learned some of the social media stuff for your business? Because that's obviously, you know, a, a huge learning curve for some of us that are, you know, uh, the millennial generation that didn't grow up yes. with phones in our hands. So that's also me. So I, I am a millennial. So we're that weird generation where we're either really good at it or we suck at it. And then we get mad when they come up with new apps like TikTok and we're like, yeah. what is this? What are, Although what is you, this? you, you're perfect for TikTok though, aren't you, Megan? I, but I can't do two algorithms at once. At this point, I'm just reposting reels over to the TikToks oh, okay. and then just like hoping for the best. That's I, I could, I could see you. I've, I've never been on TikTok. I never will, but I'm familiar with, I could see you like being like a, a firefighting nutritionist, uh, TikTok star, you know, I, li, li, you'd be surprised how hard it is to grow on social media as a firefighter nutritionist because they don't want me. Well, your personality <laughs> though, I don't happen. know. That's, 
It'll, it'll, I'll, I'll wear they're... them down. It'll just take way longer than everybody else. <laughs> I don't know. You, you might need to throw some things on, uh, some original content on TikTok and, and find out because your personality is pretty unique. So <laughs> I, I don't know that if I should take that as a compliment or an insult, but I'll take it no, as well. it's, it's a compliment. <laughs> no, I, I can see where you just, you, you break people's, uh, Yes. hardcoreness and just get right into it. It's great. But you have so, to. so the, the business side of things with social media, yeah. What, what's the learning curve? How have you kind of uh, learned some of that stuff? So um, interestingly enough, um, when COVID hit right around when I started my business, I also got a call from University of Maryland, which was who I did my dietetic internship, my, my director. And while I was in that internship, while I was a miserable, miserable person uh, to be around, I actually got really good at graphic design. Like this was before Canva even existed. Um, there was another picto chart was another version of Canva. But basically I got really good at like designing handouts, social media posts. Like I just have an eye for design to a degree. So, um, and I just got good at doing it because also while I was in my food service rotation, so food service, get this, you get to pay 10 grand to work in a kitchen. <laughs> like for three months, you get to pay 10 grand to be like kitchen staff. Um, but I, I was in a sling, so I couldn't do kitchen stuff. So basically what that ended up meaning was that I had three months of playing around with like designing all of our all of our materials for the feed meal. I had three months to practice that. So that gave me an, a little bit of an advantage compared to some personal trainers and stuff like that who feel like they don't have any time to learn a new skill. Um, but basically I now teach that at University of Maryland. So I our internship is communications and informatics. So I teach graphic design, how to have a business, how to make infographics, how to run a social media campaign. So not only was I already kind of doing social media to a degree, but I basically had to now learn it to teach it. Um, and then also for my business. So it was kind of killing like a lot of birds with one stone. But basically, um, it turns out that when you have an hour and a half commute and you have the YouTube paid prescription, you can actually listen to the YouTubes and drive. So that's why I don't have a whole book arsenal for you to tell you what books to read because I, also audiobooks will put me asleep. I, I don't know how anybody can sit and listen to an audiobook because I the ADHD just... Um, but YouTube is where I've gotten a lot of that information from for the social media management perspective. I primarily focus with Instagram strategy and then let Instagram cross post to LinkedIn, Facebook, and TikTok when it's a reel. Hmm, okay. All right. Now uh, I want to kind of stay on the, the the social media subject a little bit longer, just because. Sure. Um, anybody that's in the fitness space, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You don't have you don't have to be a social media guru, Correct. but you need to have some sort of uh, social media slash online presence. If you don't, um, it's unprofessional in my regard, and you need to you need to. Uh, catch up with the times unless you're a unicorn in, in some regard in, in some space within fitness. But um, right. so social media specifically uh, like let's Instagram. Cause I like to say Instagram is my jam. I love it. Everything I've learned in terms of Instagram is just spending time on it. Never taking any courses or anything, but let's, let's, let's focus. Let's keep our focus on uh, a registered dietitian uh, slash like personal trainer uh, individuals within the fitness realm. Sure. Uh, they just graduated. They just passed their boards to become an RD. They just got their, uh, 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 certification to be a personal trainer. 
-hmm. What are some simple steps? And this is maybe more for our generation, maybe people that are a little bit older, but there are younger people that aren't into social media either that are Gen Z or whatever gen we're on now. So whoever, but somebody that's not like a social media guru already, what are some simple steps that they can take to kind of start building a, an online business or online community to help them in their personal training, registered dietitian, fitness uh, sort of business? Yeah. Well, so I, I have, here's the thing with the social media. I always had an interest of like having some semblance of a presence, but like, I didn't realize how much of a presence like you really need to have in order to see growth and then also return on investment. Um, in terms of, it, it's kind of tricky because I could probably do a whole podcast on how to have a social media presence, right? Um, number one, you need to figure out who your audience is because you can't really, you can be a general personal trainer or a general dietitian on social media. However, like then you're talking to everyone and not, a, you know, a single subset of people. So the challenge for me, when I first started social media, what I used to do was I was a dietitian and a trainer who was talking to police and firefighters. That's too broad. So what I did was I eliminated the personal training and I eliminated the fitness side of it and only talked about dietitianing for firefighters because it turns out my branding is also important for even if I wanted to do dietitianing for police and fire because firefighters respond to red and police respond to blue. Their language is different. So their morning meeting, if you call it, firefighters call it lineup, Police calls it roll call. They get annoyed if you call it this, the vice versa, right? So you have the, the language and the way you speak to people is part of your brand. So you have to figure out who you want to work with. That doesn't have to be you, right? You don't have to be your avatar. Sometimes that works. That's why you see like, you'll see a lot of disordered eating dietitians, intuitive eating, health at every size dietitians, because a lot of us have struggled with it because it's like you get into what you're obsessed with right? Like, oh, I love nutrition and, and I'm obsessed with it. So like, let me major in it. And then it screws you. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to be your avatar, right? You don't have to be the single mom with four kids avatar, but you have to understand your avatar's challenges and you have to speak to those challenges in a realistic way. So you have to find a solution to a problem. Um, you know, Canva in terms of creating graphics and like, how do you post and whatever Canva now has a bazillion templates. Like it's, it's easier than ever to look like a graphic designer, um, without having any experience with the templates and stuff like that, that they have now. Um, also Instagram reels. Like, so I used to just do infographics and like, uh, picture posts on Instagram. And then when I started like being like, I need to boost it. But basically my hot water heater, no, not my hot water heater. My furnace broke. And that was like 11 grand. And I was like, I need to get, I need money. <laughs> Suddenly I'm poor. And so, you know, I was like, okay, like how can I make more money? Let me start by social media. So granted that didn't end up turning into money until quite a bit time later, but you know, um, I didn't want to do reels because I didn't want to do video. Like video, there's a lot of ways you can screw up <laughs> a lot more ways than you can screw up than a graphic, right? And I can tell you, I'll tell you later on how I've done, how I've screwed up. But 
basically what I did was I started with audios that you just kind of mouth the words to, like you pair it, and then you just adjust some of the text to like fit the population. So that's what I did. So basically what I'm trying to say is, well, there's a lot to talk about with the social media management side of things is start where you're comfortable. So if you're comfortable with a graphic, post a graphic or two consistently every week, then build on top of that. Eventually it gets easier because you can repost old stuff. So like if I haven't posted, I haven't posted something today. I need to post something today. Like I'll probably just find something that I posted a year ago and then repost it because at this point I have a content bank. Um, the other thing that I've done, this has given me exposure to groups. If you're looking to do corporate wellness kind of things or um, get into businesses, LinkedIn is the place to be because I cross post all my infographics to LinkedIn. So guess who's on LinkedIn? The battalion chiefs the leadership of these organizations. And what has happened is that's led to big contract. Like some of my biggest contracts have come from LinkedIn because they're like, oh, we have a grant. We need to spend money or they're going to take it away from us. And we need to spend it on wellness. Here's someone who knows our people. So that's the place to be for professionals. You know, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, you're going to be getting different demographics but I think it's still good to cross post because it's like you're already making stuff anyway. But basically it doesn't mean you're going to make money like off, like reels removed. I got a $50 reels bonus once. That's how much I've made off of Instagram, but then they eliminated the reels bonuses. So you're not going to make money off of social media directly. You're going to make money off of either public speaking because of that individual coaching you've gotten because of that or, um, like sponsorships, which is something I'm trying to see if I can figure that out. I got some applesauce the other day that I have to give to the firefighters. I'm hoping that leads to something. <laughs> Sounds weird, but it's a great pre-workout. So, yeah. Okay. Now, um, if I if I remember correctly, if I pull up your Instagram, like mm -hmm. you didn't have, uh, you know, 100,000 followers. No, I have a very reasonable amount of followers. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm not that so, impressive. <laughs> so, so, so talk about that, Megan, because I think a lot of us, especially when Instagram and, and, uh, you know, uh, like YouTube really exploded and, and things like that. Like it was, it was all about the following. Like if mm -hmm. you had 10 K like, Oh, wow, you're, you're something special on Instagram or social media, but it's, it's all about, from my understanding, I'm not, again, I'm not a social media guru, but from my understanding, it's more about the engagement, yeah not necessarily the following. And you have all kinds of people and I can usually see who does it, but all kinds of people buy their followings. They're just bots yeah. and it's just spam and garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk about um, the necessity not to necessarily focus on how many followers you have, but getting that engagement through your social media. How, how do you do that? What, what's the importance of that? Yeah, so that's great. Um, I only had about 4,000 followers on, on Instagram and I didn't, I started gung-ho on this like, I want to say March of last year. So March of 2022. So it's been over a year and a half. And if if you told me a year and a half ago, I was only going to gain like 3000 followers. I'd be like, why am I doing this? But the one recognition that I get, like, so if I go to tac like NSCA tactical conference, um, I had like six people recognize me there. They're like, you're rescue RD. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm famous. Um, someone that recognized me at the airport. I was like, ah, would you look at this? Um, but basically, you know, it helps with that recognition. 
And then it helps create relationships and conversations. Like it's kind of, I love reality TV. Like I love Real Housewives. Um, it's probably not healthy, but like you have these like parasocial relationships, you know, like they feel like, you know, they know you, even though they don't know you at all. And um, that's phenomenal for either, you know, if you want that one-on-one coaching client to spend $500 to work with you for a handful of sessions, then you need to have those parasocial relationships. So that does lead to business, but it takes quite a bit of work up front. Now you can make it easier. Like I batch all my reels typically in one day, like people are like, well, how is your hair perfect in every reel? It's because I filmed this, you know, I filmed it when my hair was perfect. The one day in the month, my hair was perfect. <laughs> you know, like um, you know, it, it builds these relationships and it also solidifies you as an expert. So even though your following might not be great, you're still expanding your reach and getting people to purchase things. I have a handful of digital products on my website, for example. Um, like I have a meal prep guide. It was like, it's 10 bucks, but I've made that meal prep guide took me like an hour to make. And um, it's four pages for $10, pretty reasonable price. I could probably charge more, it might be $12 now. Um, but it made a thousand dollars last year. So a hundred people thought out of my thousand followers, that it was worth to buy that product. Um, and it made me a thousand dollars. Now, is that a ton of money? It's I'm not going to quit my job because of it. No, but you know, there are, you can diversify what types of products you're offering, whether it's digital or make sure you pay sales tax. If you have, uh, uh Maryland requires digital sales tax because we tax the heck out of people here. Um, but you can diversify what types of things and offerings you're providing clients because eventually one-on-one is going to burn you out. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what's what's uh, uh, your process, if you have one, of kind of like goal setting, uh, vision setting, like moving into the future business-wise? Is that something that you, uh, you know, are intentional about or is that something that you're not intentional about? <laughs> so... I'm the type of person who like, you know, buys the agenda in January and like writes their goals and then throws out or spills coffee all over it. And then eventually gets rid of it within like yeah, three days. That sounds so, like you, Megan. Yeah. I, I haven't been diagnosed with ADHD, but I'm pretty sure I'm somewhere on that spectrum. Right. Have you ever um, been tested though? That's the question. Yeah, no, I got tested and then they gave me some medication and I felt like I could literally tackle a gorilla. I had a half hour presentation and it turned into an hour and a half presentation. And, um, I was shaking in meetings after that. So apparently it might be just anxiety, like, un, you know, uh, unhinged anxiety <laughs> and I don't need a stimulant to fix it. Um, anyway, that's my medical history for you. Um, but in any case, like I kind of function pretty good bouncing around like all over the place. Cause I am a P like if I, if I say I'm doing a podcast with you, I will not cancel unless I am literally like dead. Like I've, unless I have some sort of crazy migraine, like, like I will never cancel an appointment, uh, you know? So it, if I have something that I want to get done, it'll get done, but it'll get done in like weird arcs and like, so yeah, I don't know. Um, and I think it might help some people, right? Because I, I remember when I was first starting the social media thing, they like, you need a social media plan and you need to know exactly like 
you're going to post about pre-workout food this week. And then the next week you're going to post post-workout. And then you're going to talk about supplements and like, you're going to do it in this perfect manner. No, I'm going to get a post done. Like there's, if I say I'm going to do six posts a week, the posts are going to get done. What type of post that happens that week is up, is subject to whatever gerbil is dancing the most in my brain at, at that given, given time. Um, so, you know, what I end up doing from a social media management standpoint is I'll balk the reels. I'll, feel, I'll film all the reels. I'll make the graphics. Um, the other thing that I've, I've started doing now is um, I have departments who pay me for making recipes for them to post on their website and they pay me for articles. So then I'll create a social media post based off of that. So I get paid for some of my posts while it's not directly from Instagram, but it's something I already made for another department that I can share on my Instagram. Same thing for public speaking. Oh, I'm going to go public speak at, at SCA Tactical. I'm going to post about me public speaking it. So I'm getting paid for some of these things now, if that makes sense. Um, so in terms of the social media, like I'll bulk make it, and then like when my husband and I are just sitting watching TV and I can't stand to watch TV because again, it's not moving. I will um, write my captions or, you know, you know, do the overlay for the picture. Like I, I multitask, right? So instead of spending four hours planning out a week on my Friday, I'm kind of splitting up the time throughout my week when I have dead periods. So while that's not, I wrote the goal, I do the things to get to the goal. It it might make it easier for some people to think of it as something that they can get done in spare time. Yeah. Yeah. And it works for you and that's great. So uh, now in terms of your, your uh, own business, do you want to continue obviously to grow it, but is that something where you want to do that full time and you can kind of step out of the, uh, the, the corporate setting or, or what does that kind of look like at least at this point in your life, Megan? So I'm really, like, I'm really spoiled in Fairfax, like really spoiled. Like they pay me a ridiculous amount. Um, I, I come and go as I please, which, you know, I'm very driven to make sure I get stuff done. Right. Like that is my focus is to make sure I'm in person and available for the firefighters. But the nice thing is they're available 24 seven. So I can adjust my schedule to get there earlier or get there later. The biggest downfall is the commute. But the thing with working with first responders as, as a civilian is like, I don't know if I, Unless like there was a, you know, another layoff or some sort of situation. I don't know if I would go into my business full time because I think it's important that I'm there, in, not in the trench, but next to the trench, yeah. right? I'm not in the trenches with the first responders because I can't do the blood guts and dead bodies, but I can hand snaps to them from the side. So I don't know if I would ever go full time with it. Like I'm at a point where I could potentially make a like I make a, a salary, like I make a, a starting dietitian salary in my business, but like I would miss that one-on-one -on -one being in there with them. What's the new question? What's the new fad diet people are on? You know, what misconception can I clear up for you uh, and then use it as content? So I, I don't know. I think at most, you know, if we start a family in the next year or so, maybe part-time, okay. yeah. I also like to work. <laughs> yeah yeah you need well i think you need maybe like four or five kids and then that, that'll maybe get you a little no bit please god no huh? i i would rather no thank you i it's gonna be one and done for me what? 
and I'm giving it to my husband to raise. So, oh my gosh, one and done. I don't know about that. We'll, we'll get you. I'm going to get you back. You don't want to see me with children. I mean, I work with grown men who act like children, but like, it's interesting. <laughs> two, two or three years, we'll, 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 I'll, I'll bring it back on. You'll have a couple kids, I think, by then. But mm. okay. Um, now, uh, the, the public speaking, you said when you were younger, you didn't, you hadn't done a lot of public speaking. You didn't really like doing it. Um, is it because obviously you've had more opportunities to do it? So you practice it. So anytime we practice anything, we're going to get better, mm -hmm. but you feel like because you've been uh, boots on the ground, you, 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 you're, you're an expert, so to speak in your niche within being a registered dietitian, does that kind of build the confidence to stand up in front of people and, and give these lectures, give these talks, like, um, where does that confidence come to go to NSCA tactical conference and stand up in front of hundreds of people and, and talk? Well, so here's the thing. So like even in college, like from a leadership perspective, if I felt confident in the topic or the project, yeah. I'm going to be the leader. Like you're not, unless I think you're better, unless I think that someone else has better expertise or a better skill set, then I then I will be the follower and I'll kind of not do a whole lot of speaking. A clinical case study, I could give two craps about. Like, I don't, I don't have interest in that. It's not, that's not important. It's just not my interest. So I would probably outsource that to someone else. But when it comes to firefighter nutrition, like I now know, like not only is there not a whole lot of experts in this place, but in the space, but I've also got a good amount of experience now. Um, I have the credentials. I have the boots on the ground time. So yeah, I, you know, the confidence comes from the fact that like, I, I just know what works and I'm still figuring it out. Um, the good news is from a dietitian standpoint is um, CSPDA, the Collegiate Sports Dietitian Association. Um, they just created a tactical subset a couple of years ago, and they actually had me write a, like um, a little guide on how, uh, like how dietitians can work with firefighters. So like we're starting and they asked me to be on one of their like subgroups or whatever. So we're starting like starting to recreate content to push dietitians and other health professionals into this group because it's an amazing group of people to work with. It's really flexible schedule. Typically, unless you're a physical therapist, you know, you need to have a certain hours, but um, yeah, the, the confidence has primarily come from like, now I'm an expert. So now I'm not going to shut up about it. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. What are what are what do you and your husband do in in the the uh, fun time? You guys are you guys go to concerts, uh, go on walks. I know you said you don't like watching TV unless it's maybe uh, Desperate Housewives. But what what do you like to do for fun, Megan? Outside of the professional stuff. Yeah. So my husband has the ADHD. Like he has like the classic symptoms of ADHD. So like it's just a mess over here. Um, he loves TV, but I I hate it. Um, we are homebodies. We, we are very spoiled and we have a very nice backyard set up. We have a pool. So we just kind of loaf in the pool, um, or end up hosting or whatever. Um, we, we host pretty much every weekend, which is a stressor in and of itself. Um, but we'd rather, uh, you know, host people and then tell them to leave by eight 30 so we can go to bed at eight 45. <laughs> but yeah, we're not like a big goer outers. Like we might go to get a sandwich somewhere or something. And that's like a big alley. Is there is since you've been in the that uh, it's the Washington D.C. area that you're from and where you live, right? But more, I live Baltimore. I commute past D.C. Okay, well, kind of that general area. Uh, 
is there like any restaurants or any go-to places in that regard if somebody's going to visit that area sometime this summer that you would recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and t- for us, like we've been really into sandwiches lately, like good sandwiches, not like the healthy ones. Um, <laughs> so there's a, there's a restaurant we like called full on and then there's one in Rockville, which is closer to DC. And there's one in Annapolis. We go to the Annapolis one uh, and you can get alcohols there. So you can get orange crosses with your sandwich. So we're into that. Um, the other thing that's from my hometown, uh, that's pretty famous is GNM's, which is a crab cake place and you can actually order that like a crab cake from GNMs to your house and they'll ship it in an iced container. Um but yeah a lot of people will be like Linthicum, I know that I know oh the crab cake place is there. Yes. Cool. Okay last this is gonna be the last question we're gonna get you out of here so you can sure. keep uh keep doing doing you today. Um in regards to kind of like the the entirety of uh the registered dietitian field mm-hmm. um because there's, there's just a lot that kind of falls underneath that umbrella. There's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things that RDs are doing that, you know, just like a personal trainer. It's like, well, I don't know about that, but you're an RD, so maybe. But when you look at the entirety of the uh, RD community, are there some things that you wish uh, would change that maybe RDs would change themselves or mm-hmm. stop doing? Like, is there anything that you wish... Uh, in regards to maybe like improvement with registered dietitians that you would like to implement or, or see, does that kind of make sense, Megan? No, that actually makes sense. That's a, it's a great question. Um, in my opinion, but so this applies to both dietitians and personal trainers, dietitians and personal trainers. We got into, we didn't get into this typically to make money. Like our fields are not often well-paid, right? Unless you create a business and you create, you know, something special out of it. However, um, we got into this because we love the topic. You have to understand, especially when you're a younger professional, when you work with people, they're not passionate about the topic you're talking about, right? It's another thing on their to-do list that they have to do. So like, it's kind of like going to an accountant. Could you do your own taxes? Yes. But is your brain functional to do the taxes? Mine, it depends on the day. (laughs) Like to actually read the like law and understand the updates, it typically you need to outsource that, right? So, but you're not going to look up that stuff in your free time, right? And it's the same thing for a lot of your people. They're overwhelmed typically with their lifestyle, especially the older they get. Uh, and even for younger people, like they, if they're in school right now and working, they're pretty, they're overwhelmed. Will they get more overwhelmed in their lifetime? Sure, but they they still feel it. So from a dietitian or a trainer standpoint, you really have to listen to your client and not give that cookie cutter advice, which can be hard. Unless like there are certain topics that I talk about pretty much every client, right? But that is something that's already chewed up a little bit, right? Like it's Here's how you can fit a vegetable in when you feel like you have no time. Here's a wrap option you can take to your kid's sports practice. Um, Here's a healthier fast food guide. You need to find a problem and fix the solution. One of the things that's always irked me for specifically to first responder world is I can't tell you how many times I've been to a department where they're like, yeah, we used to have a dietitian, but she tried to make us all go vegan and vegetarian. It's like, have you ever met a firefighter? Like their favorite food is bacon and beer. Like you're not going to come in and turn them vegan like it. I, I, that's a concept I don't understand. 
Um, so basically it's kind of making sure that while you are the expert, you need to adapt to the group you're working with. Uh, and it's not going to be pretty and you're going to screw it up a couple of times. I mean, I've definitely told my share of accidental bad, like what I thought was a good joke, which turned out to be a bad joke, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, I think if the efforts there, people recognize that. That That is awesome. I love what you said in regards to listening. Um, listening has changed my life through podcasting. So uh, that's, uh, that's great advice, Megan. So um, I'm going to do a quick outro, but before mm-hmm. I do, uh, if people want to find out more about you, if people uh, want to get some laughs, if people want to work with you, if people want to just whatever, connect with you, on social media, uh, where can people go? Uh, if you have any other shout outs, if you have any final thoughts or final words, anything that we didn't touch on or talk about today and you wanna kind of share that in closing, platforms yours, I'll do a quick outro and I'll get you out of here. So uh, whatever you'd like to share in closing, Megan. Sure, so um, if you like the social media, I'm at rescue.rd on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And that's all firefighter specific nutrition advice. Um, including recipes and stuff like that. And my website, rescuerd.com, actually has a free recipe book and it's geared towards station dinners. So the standard for firefighter station dinners is usually five to $6 a head with shifts of six, 10 and 14, half a pound of protein per person with the goal of ideally having leftovers for the next shift. So it's healthy-ish stuff like Cajun chicken pasta. Usually if the dietitian brings pasta, they're like, second. so it, it, it's geared to meeting firefighters where they're at. It's also good for meal prep for anybody who just needs to make a crap ton of food. Um, so that's on my website for free. And then there's a couple products and stuff like that. I do public speaking on first responder nutrition uh, and also individual coaching. And that's all on my website, rescuerd.com. Cool. Oh, sorry. Right. And uh, I forgot. Uh, in terms of other people, uh, again, I said Annette Zapp, Fire Rescue Wellness. She has uh, both the Instagram Fire Rescue Wellness and then also her podcast. And then there's at Firefighter Strength Coach, which is uh, Vanessa Frost. Both are two good strength coaches, wellness professionals in the first responder space. Love it. All right, Megan, I'm going to do a quick outro and then I'll let you go. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Okay. Yes. Cool. Thank you. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And uh, it's awesome to have you guys continuing to come back and listening to uh, all of these uh, awesome, powerful stories on the podcast. I'm always down to connect with uh, people. So a couple places that you can reach out to me and connect if you would like. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. And then email curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. A huge favor I'd ask of all of you before uh, we wrap up this conversation with Megan today, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. I would greatly appreciate that. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you and we'll catch you guys next time on the next episode of Curious and Candid.